Good morning. How are y'all? All right. Welcome to Westridge. We are so glad you're here. Um, as you know, we are in the middle of a series called the Prayer Series, and we have been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And what we discovered as we've been walking through it is that Jesus specifically taught us six things to pray for. Now, last week, James taught the first three. And what I have found very interesting about the six things that Jesus has taught us to pray for is that they are interdependent. They go together. And so this morning, to kind of get us headed in the right direction, I want to share a story about a woman named Louisa. Louisa was born in 1850 in Dover, England, to a family that loved the Lord and they loved his word. And at a very young age, she really felt called to mission work. And she didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. But she just kind of tucked that in her heart and held on to it for later. And her parents, eventually, they moved from England and they came to America and they set up a new life here. And when she was 25 years old in 1875, Louisa got married. And out of this marriage, they had a daughter named Lily. And so one day, it was about 1880, they decided, why don't the three of us go to Long Island Beach and have a picnic and spend the day? And so they went out there and they were doing those things that family does when you're out at the beach. And then all of a sudden, they noticed that people began to line the shoreline. And there was this commotion going on. And so they went to go see what was going on. And apparently, there was a young boy out in the ocean who had been swimming, but now he was in distress. And it looked like he was about to go under. So Louise's husband dove into the water and swam out to attempt to help him. But as what often happens when victims are in distress and they are beginning to drown, they tend to pull under those people that come to help them. And so in a matter of moments, Louisa became a widow and a single mom. And the days and weeks that followed were very hard. And she would press into Jesus and just ask him for help. And one day, she went to bed, and as she was laying at bed, she was just thinking, we are out of food, we are out of money. It just feels like I'm out of options. But the neat thing with God is, is that with Him, we always have options. And what she didn't know is that there was somebody that had decided to live their life in such a way to hallow or honor the name of God. There was someone that was all about doing God's kingdom work here on earth and somebody who was willing to do God's will rather than their own. Because when Louisa and Lily were sleeping that night, this particular person delivered a big bag of groceries and an envelope full of cash to them. And the next morning when Louisa found it, she was overwhelmed. And that very day, she wrote the words to the song that Matt just sang. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. You see, that day when God showed up and showed out in her life, this is what she learned that a widow. And a single mom can live their life in a way to honor God, to be about his kingdom work and do his will. And she can do this because she can know that God himself will take care of all our needs. 
Well, shortly after that, Louise and her daughter, they took off to South Africa and they became missionaries. And with the exception of coming to the States two times because Louisa was sick, Louisa spent the rest of her years in South Africa. And in 1917, she passed away. And one of the folks over, that, over there that had done mission work with her wrote back to the States because they wanted the people here to know, I, I know you've suffered this loss, but I need you to know that even though she is gone, her work and her legacy lives on because on any given Sunday, over five thousand Africans sing her hymn in their own native dialect. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to examine the last three things and we're going to see how they relate to this because they go together. It's like a puzzle. And before we do that, just like we've done every single Sunday during this message, we've all stood together and we've read the Lord's Prayer. So I want to invite you right now, if you guys will all come to your feet. And after we pray this prayer corporately, if you guys will remain standing, I'm just going to open us up in prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God, I just thank you for this opportunity to be with these people. Lord, I pray that you would um, anoint our ears and our hearts that we can hear you. And I just ask, as only you could do, that you would divide this message in so many ways that every person here would know that they heard from you and no one else but you. God, we love you. We thank you for what you will do here this morning and what you have already done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus, he knows, and 1 Thessalonians 4 is an example, that we are created, we're made in three parts. We're body, soul, and spirit. And he knows that for us to live lives that are committed to these three things, he's going to have to help us with our lives because we're flesh and blood and we have things that we have to take care of and we have needs. And so what's really interesting about this prayer, as Jesus instructs us to pray this and to commit our lives to be in these three things, he offers us this. If you will live your life in such a way to honor our Heavenly Father, to do His kingdom work and to be about His will, then what I would like to offer you is, I will manage your kingdom and I'll meet all your needs. And so Jesus and the next three petitions offers to meet us and our needs in our body, and that's our physical body, in our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, and in our spirit. And that's that thing that relates to God. And the first thing that Jesus invites us to ask for is God's provision. And he begins this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Now I want you to know that word bread, it means bread, but it means a little bit more. It means like what our needs are. We need not just food, we need shelter, we need clothing. And so when Jesus encourages us to daily ask the Lord, give us our daily needs. He's trying to train us, to create us to have a mindset to be remember that we need to be dependent on God, that he owns it all. And the one who owns it all wants to be generous to us, to meet our needs, to be our provision. He provides the rain that grows the crops. He provides the companies we work for. And out of that, he gives us a place to live. 
He gives us clothing and he gives us food. And you might be here today and you might think, well, Susie, I hear what you're saying, but I have a job and I get a paycheck. And that paycheck is what pays my mortgage and buys our food and buys our clothes. And I hear you. But I want you to know that you have that job because God deemed fit to give it to you. And he gave you the abilities to do that job. James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, in chapter 1, he writes, Every good and perfect gift is from above. And everything that we have in life comes from God, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And when Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's really saying, this is an invitation to not worry. Because when you ask for this, you can know God will meet your need. As I was reading this week in preparation for this morning, I came across this interesting thing about our brain, that at the very base of our brain stem is a, a group of nerves. And their job is to translate all the stimuli that comes in. And their, their short version is called the RAS, but it stands for Regular Activating System. And so what happens is as you are doing life and all of the stimuli is coming at you, your RAS at the base of your brainstem, its job is to decide what gets through. So an example of this would be when we were first married, we bought a house that needed a lot of work. And so when it came time to painting it, I began to learn all about paint. There was oil and there was latex. I learned that you could get an eggshell, a semi-gloss, you could get a, um, a washable paint, you could get a flat paint, you could get a high gloss paint. And I began to look at all this. And what was very interesting, because I had paint on my brain, everywhere I went, I began to notice types and textures of paint everywhere. I would be at the strangest place and I would get this far off glaze and they'd say, what are you doing? And I'd say, do you think that's a high gloss or a semi-gloss? And they would be like, because that was what my brain was. And here's what I want you to think about. The more that we go to God and we just ask him to give us our needs, not our greeds, but our needs. As we pray more, we begin to notice him more. And as we pray for ourselves and others in our lives, we begin to see his fingerprints all over it. And as I have done this, what I've noticed that's happened to me that I am sure will happen to you is that as I've seen him show up more and more in my life, what happens is he's developed in me this spirit of thankfulness. Because it's really unbelievable and quite humbling to think that the one who put the stars in place cares about my needs, cares about to help me when I need help with what's going on. And the reason this is so important that Jesus offers, ask your heavenly father for your daily provision because he knows if he is all about our needs, then we are freed up to be all about honoring our heavenly father's name. We can hallow it. We can be all about his kingdom work and we can be all about doing his will. Ken Hemphill, he was one of the gentlemen that I, I researched with when I was thinking about this morning. And one of my favorite things he said was this, that all of life is a sacred trust between me and God. As I choose to live my life this way, man, he just chooses to take care of my kingdom and all my needs. It's really just an opportunity for an incredible adventure. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, I don't want you to ask just for God's provision. I want you to ask for his pardon. Because then he instructs them, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, this idea of forgiveness, it brings peace to my soul, to my mind, to my will, to my emotions. 
And Jesus knows us. He knows we're not perfect. And he knows the chances are really great. We're going to mess up every day. So he goes ahead. Listen, you're going to mess up every day. So go ahead and just ask him to forgive you of your debts. Those things that you do, those sins. And sin just means to miss the mark. It's a very simple definition. So when I sin or I miss the mark, it's those debts that stand between me and God. Jesus says, just be, be really quick to ask for forgiveness. And here's why. When I allow sin to stand between me and God, and I am not quick to confess that to him. And confession just simply means to agree that what I did was wrong. When I'm not quick to do that, it impairs my relationship with God. Like this week, I didn't even know he was going to give me a life example, and I really am so grateful. But you know, we're at the end of school at my house, and so I've been praying, God, we want to finish well. Let us finish well this school year. And I don't really know if I was off this week or my children were, but I just wanted to kill them a couple of times. And what I noticed is that when I had that feeling come over me, I didn't really care at all about his kingdom or doing his will. And I began to say, you know, Lord, I really thought I wanted us to finish well. And I really feel like my prayer is just, can we finish alive? That's where I ended up with, right? Because when we have sin in our hearts and our lives and we aren't quick to confess it, it impairs our relationship. When I was in second grade, we lived in Texas and my parents were building a house and we were renting a house. And very close to our rental house, there was a new house under construction. And so one night, it was summertime, as we'd eaten dinner, as I was flying out the back door, my mom yelled two things, be careful and do not go play at the construction site. And I heard her. I went out, we were riding our bikes, we were having so much fun. And then one of my friends thought it would be a good idea to stop by the construction site because they had just delivered these huge cubes of bricks. And when I saw those, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could climb on top of those? And so sure enough, somehow there was all this kind of trash leaning against it, and I managed to kind of use those as ladders, and I climbed on top of this big cube of brick. And I was like feeling like I was queen of the world until I realized I did not have a plan to get down. And there was all this construction trash, like, you know, with the boards and the nails poking out of it, you know, which is the reason you don't go to construction sites. And I remember thinking, how am I going to get down here? And so I devised in my seven-year-old mind that what I would do is I would turn around and I would lower myself down so that the front of my legs would literally, they ended up scratching the front of the brick on my way down. So when I got through lowering myself down, I thought, oh, my legs feel like they're on fire. And I looked down, and although they were just lightly scratched, you would have thought I had been stabbed because they were bleeding so much. It was the craziest thing. So I think I need to go home and clean this up before my mom finds out. So as I swing in the back door, she hears it, and she invites me to come, join them in the den, and have some ice cream. Now, I just sinned against my mom. Do you think I wanted to go hang out with her? No. So I said, no, I had to go to the restroom. And then I went to the bathroom because I just thought that, that because I was seven, that if I use those clear Band-Aid nude color Band-Aids, she'd never know. Isn't that what we think when we're seven? And I remember that eventually I had to go and help, ask my mom for help. And it was very clear that I had disobeyed her. But she just forgave me, cleaned me up, she hugged me, and I got some chocolate ice cream. But I want you to know, in the instant that I said, look what I did, I didn't listen to you, Mom. Our relationship was restored. And so Jesus says, listen, you ask him every day, forgive us our debts because you're going to have some and you want to keep your account really small with God. 
You want to keep it small. And then he goes on. And also, as we have also forgiven our debtors. You see, in life, we will sin, but sometimes we will be sinned against. And we have two choices. We can forgive or we can get bitter. And I have done both. And I would like to tell you, forgiveness always leads to freedom and bitterness always leads to bondage. Because it's as if when I choose to just embrace this bitterness that I feel, because when you have wronged me, when someone has wronged you, don't we have this feeling or sense that you owe me? And so when I have that sense that you owe me and I wanna hang on this bitterness and this unforgiveness, I'm not at all worried about honoring his name, doing his kingdom work, or being about his will. What I'm worried about is what you owe me. And it's as if I have put out a welcome mat for the enemy and said, come on in. Because he thrives in a heart that is full of bitterness and unforgiveness. See, forgiven people forgive. And Jesus knew this. Because if we understand the debt that God has forgiven us, then we are able to forgive those who offend us or commit sins against us. And so in Matthew 18, Jesus tells this parable about a king. And this king liked to keep his accounts short. And he began to notice that there was this one servant that owed him a bunch of money and there was really no way he could pay it back. So he called him in. And this particular servant owed the king 10,000 silver talents. And just so you know, one silver talent was one year wages. And this man owed 10,000. So clearly he owned more to this king than he could ever pay off. So the king calls him in and he's, he talks to him. He says, listen, here's the deal. I'm just going to take your wife and your children and make them my slaves. I'm going to sell everything you own, And I'm going to try to get back some of the money that you owe me. And the man began to beg him, please don't do that. And for some reason, the king relented. And he not only didn't sell his stuff or make his family become his slaves, he released this man who owed him a great deal. He released him and forgave him of the debt. Well, when the forgiven man leaves the presence of the king, he heads home and he finds a man who owes him very little money. And he grabs that man by the neck and he says, pay me my money. And the man says, I can't pay it all to you, but I can work it off. I only need two more weeks. Well, the man that had just been forgiven would not wait. And he has that man thrown in prison. Well, when the king hears about this, He's furious. And he calls the man that he had just forgiven of much. And he says, how is it that you could be forgiven of so much, but you could not forgive one of so little? You see, when we understand what God has forgiven us of, we are free to forgive others. And I need to be honest and tell you, forgiveness can really be hard. Sometimes the wounds are so deep, it just seems almost impossible And I want you to know when you choose to forgive someone, you're not saying that what they did is okay. You're not forgetting about it. You're not denying that it happened. And when you choose to forgive somebody, it sometimes is really hard and it's going to hurt. But this is what forgiveness simply is. It simply is releasing them from the debt. It is saying, you no longer owe me. I release you. One of the smartest things I've ever learned is this sentence. Forgiveness takes one. You see, 
So many times when someone offends us, we think, well, I'll forgive them when they come and ask for forgiveness, when they apologize. I don't have to do anything till then. Yes, you do. Don't believe that lie. Because forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. So if you were to go to counselor's office, it would look like this. They would ask you to make a list of people that you have unforgiveness in your heart. They would say, I want you to pray about it. In your time with God, you ask him and you bring that list. So when you come to your appointment, they would say, do you have your list? And you would nod. They would say, okay, I want you to sit right here. And there would be two chairs. This one is empty and this one is the one you're sitting in. And they would say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at this empty chair. And I want you to pretend that that first person on your list is here. And I want you to say their name. And I want you to say what they did to you. And then I want you to say this. But I release you from this debt. I forgive you. And then you go to the next person. You say their name, what they did. But I release you from this debt and I forgive you. Forgiveness always leads to freedom. Bondage is always found in bitterness. And if you have some unforgiveness issues in your heart, and I want you to know in the past two years, I've had some stuff that I really didn't think I could get past. And I just began to ask God, because here's the deal. It's possible I may be in a place where I can't forgive, but he can change me and he can forgive. And one of the things that the Lord has always told me to do, and I remember this from high school, if there's somebody in your life that you just have unforgiveness towards, you start praying for them. And my prayers are never very uh, detailed for them, but it is simply God bless them. Sometimes it's just that short. And what I notice is I pray for this person that I have incredible unforgiveness towards, the Lord somehow, and the way that only he can do, he changes my heart. He changes my heart. And he frees me up. I don't know, it's been a couple months ago, maybe a year, and Glenn came home and I just had had a day. And so he began to ask me about my day and I don't know, apparently whenever I have bad days, I tell them in a very comical way because he always finds them very funny. And so when he thought my story was over, I go, oh no, that's not all. And he goes, what more could there be? And so I began to share with him that somebody that, that I care about had said something that really hurt my heart. It really had offended me. And I said, and do you want to know the worst part about this? Because here's what I knew. Forgiveness takes one. So the worst part about this is, is that I got to find a way with the help of God to forgive this person. Or it's going to impair my relationship with God. And I can't have that. Because sometimes it's been really hard. I just think, why do I have to forgive? They're the ones who did this, Lord. I don't forgive for their behalf. I forgive on my behalf because I want to be free and I want to have peace to my father and I want to receive his forgiveness and out of this then I can forgive others and have peace for other people in my life but Jesus doesn't stop there because he knows we're body soul and spirit so he says ask me for my provision so that you can honor my father's name be about his kingdom and do his will ask me for my pardon so you can live a life that honors my father's name cares about his kingdom work and does my father's will. And then he says, I want you to ask him for God's protection. Pray for protection from my father. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, as long as you live here, I need you to know something. You've got an enemy. 
And 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us this, that we need to be self-controlled and alert because our enemy roams the earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And see, God has a plan for your life. And Satan, what he wants to do is get you off his plan. He wants you to be all sucked into your needs so you can't focus on this. He wants you to be all sucked into unforgiveness and bitterness so you cannot be all about this. He wants you to be incredibly sucked into temptation and sin so you cannot be about this. So Jesus says, so I want you to pray and lead us not into temptation. Now I need you to know something. James, in chapter 1, verse verse 13, he says this. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. You see, God doesn't tempt me. He tests me, and sometimes in my testing, the enemy comes and tries to tempt me and make me think that God's left me high and dry. And sometimes the enemy just tempts me. And so when we say, when Jesus is saying, I want you to pray and lead us not into temptation, it's really us saying this. On my own, every time I'm going to end up in temptation, God. I'm not that smart. So I just want to ask you, don't let me go there. Lead me. Don't let me go there. Lead me in the way of life. Because you can see what I can see and you know what I don't know. I don't know what's out there that's going to harm me, but you do. So would you lead me, God? Don't let me end up in temptation. Lead me. In the way of life that leads to you every time. You see, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. That no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And when you are tempted, he will provide for you a way of escape. So it looks like this. Let's say you've been coming to this prayer series. And you heard James teach on this and you thought, you know what? I really want to be that kind of a man that does this. And so you've been praying the Lord's Prayer just to remind you of the things that we've been walking through as church. And you've gone on this business trip and you got into your hotel early, which never happens. And you're so excited because you need to work on your presentation before the next morning. So you order room service and you're just drinking coffee after cup of coffee. And so when you finally get us, finish all of your presentation, it's all good to go. It's about 11 o'clock and you're just jacked up on caffeine. And so you're like, okay, the people at home are asleep. The gym is closed. So you just kind of decide, I'll just watch some TV. And as you begin to reach for the remote, you stop because see, you've been praying, Lord, leave me not into temptation. So in that moment, you just kind of say, God, is it okay? You know what's on that TV. Would it be wise for me? to turn that TV on? Or is there something on there that could tempt me? And you just sense God through the Holy Spirit in the way that he does. Just say, no, don't turn it on. You might should just read that book you brought with you. You see, God will give us a way out every time. So as we ask him, Lord, lead us not in temptation, man. Lead us in the way of life because on our own, we end up in temptation every time. But we want to ask God, would you deliver us from evil? Now, this word deliver, it means to guard or protect. And that word evil, it can mean evil, but it can also mean evil one because of the text of it. It's a Greek word, but it's in masculine. And so we're really asking God, protect me, guard me from the evil one. You see, Jesus knows, and we can read about it in 2 Corinthians 10, that we live in this world, but we don't wage war as the world does. And that the weapons we fight with, they're not of this world. They are supernatural. 
And a lot of times, if we're honest, we find that we tend to pray to God when we're already in sin. Like we're already in trouble, so to speak. And I want you to know, if you're ever in sin and you're in trouble, praying to your Heavenly Father is always the right thing to do. But what if we decided to kind of pray offensively? Instead of just praying for what we're stuck in right now, what if we prayed for tomorrow? We prayed for our school teachers, our, our kids next year, their school teachers they were going to have. We prayed for our marriages down the road. There's a book called The Circle Maker, and it's by a guy named Mark Batterson. And the premise of his book is this. Draw circles in prayer around those people, things, and ideas that matter to you. So when I read this, I thought, hmm. So I went downstairs, and I got a spiral that had been half used, and I just began to draw a big circle, flip it, a big circle, flip it, a big circle, and I flipped it. So after doing this for several pages, I went back to the very first big circle I drew, and I said, okay, Lord, who goes here? What, what needs to go on this page? And so I began to just create pages of things that I'm going to circle around in prayer. Like, one is my kids, my marriage, my husband, this church, people that I love, my friends that I do life with. Um, people that come to me and say, hey, will you pray for this? I put them in a circle. I pray for them. I pray for my hopes and dreams that God has put on my heart that quite honestly, I don't know how they would ever work out, but he's put them there, so I'm going to pray. Because I know that God has a plan for me, and I know the enemy does too. So I want to ask the Lord, lead me into life, protect me from the evil one, because I want to stay on your plan at every turn. At every turn. First Thessalonians reads this way in chapter 4, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. See, the one that encourages us to live a life that honors God, to hallow his name by the way we live, the one who encourages us to be all about his kingdom work, because every day, everywhere we go, there's kingdom impl- implications, right? People we meet at Target, at Walmart, in the drive-through, there's all kinds of implications at school or at work. And when we just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be all about my Father's will. When we decide to be that, the one who calls us to this, he will be faithful to take care of all of our needs. Now, back in November of last year, I've been married a couple years. And so because of that, um, I like to do every, something once in a while that just kind of shocks my husband and makes him think, oh, you don't know me. Like, I just like to do that to him. And so I signed our family up for a rock climbing day in Alabama. And so when I told him this, he said, you rock climb? I go, oh, yeah, you don't know all about me. He was like, we've been together a while. I'm pretty sure. I go, oh, no. Ah, mysterious. And so he's like, clearly you're not. So... I signed us up for this rock climbing day, and um, I, I learned a couple of things. Uh, and there was, there was some beginner runs or beginner climbs uh, that were like 50 feet high. And then there was two that were about 100. And I want to tell you, my husband scaled that 100-foot climb like he was Spider-Man. I thought, we might should call me MJ. This is awesome, Lord. I just couldn't believe that about him. I thought I, thought I was the one that was going to be surprising him. Oh, no, he surprised me. And then my children, they did their climbs. And then it was my turn. Now, when you're watching people, it's very clear to see exactly where their foot should go. Because in rock climbing, what I learned that day is you find your feet and then you find your hands. Feet, hands, feet, hands. And so I was about 20 feet in the air. 
And I had a harness on. And does she? Have, I don't know if Desiree has that picture up. She could put it up for us. This is my husband and my daughter. And he's got her harnessed in. And they're getting ready to start. And I just don't care how skinny you are. Nobody looks good in that harness. I determined that also that day. I thought, you get hat head and everyone gets to see. Never mind. So um, just I thought, wow, working out. It's just not really working for me in this thing. So, so it becomes my turn. And I'm 20 feet up in the air. And so I, I begin, I'm moving my feet. And so I begin to take a step and guess what? It wasn't the right one because my foot slipped off and I had to catch myself. And then Glenn, who was down below me, he noticed this. So he begins to say, okay, honey, listen, take your right foot and put it at three o'clock. And when you press up there, take your left foot and put it at seven o'clock. And there's places for your hands when you do that. And so here I am, 20 feet off the ground. I've got the two G's in my life. Glenn is below me. God is above me. And I have all these conversations going on. Right? So Glenn's helping me, right? And I am sitting there thinking, like, and, and this, this was the weirdest part of this whole climbing experience, is that this, this rock is vertical, and I'm vertical. And somehow to rest, you can lean into this big boulder and rest. I don't even know how that's possible. But in one of my resting spots, when I thought, seriously, Lord, I am so tired. But I couldn't quit, because then I'd be the mom who quit, right? And you don't want your kids to quit, so there's all this pressure. and oh. So I'm sitting there, and I thought, you know, Lord, this is just like life. Because left to my own, I will always end up in temptation. If I'm not careful, I'll, walk, I'll make choices that will literally walk me right into the evil one. But you, in my life, you're like Glenn. You're saying, no, put your, put your foot here. No, no, reach a little further up and you can get that. You can get that, that rock right there for your right hand to rest on. You see, that's what it's like with God. In Isaiah, there's this verse... And it says, listen, he will tell you in your ear the way to walk in it, whether to go to the right or to the left. And Jesus is just inviting us. You be about my father's kingdom and his will and his agenda, and I will take care of yours. And I love how Louisa ended her hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that thou art with me and wilt be with me to the end. I want you to know, church, Jesus wants us to commit to living these things. But in the process of him calling you to live this way, to honor his Father's name, to be about his kingdom work and to do his will, in this process, he promises and says, hey, listen, I'm going to commit to taking care of your kingdom. I got you. I got you. Because the one who calls us is faithful and he will surely do it every time. Let's pray. God, we just love you. It's just amazing to think that you just, um, every time you call us to do something that just seems impossible, you've just, you've, you've provided a way for us to do it. You want to care for our body, soul, and spirit in such a way, God, that we're just free to be all about your will, all about your kingdom, and all about on your name. God, we love you. I pray that we would be a church that would be all about you. We love you. And we thank you that you can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. You are the God that we love and worship today. In Jesus' name, amen.